Uh, so uh, Romans 12, where we're going to hang out today. Uh, and uh, so if you want to turn there, we'll get there in just a wee moment. But I'll set up our message. Craig said I was going to talk in some capacity about small groups, and I am. That's where we're heading. So you know the destination as we're setting off on this message. Uh, but the title of the message is Needed Unknown. Uh, I've probably said these words already up here at some point. I know I've said them in various other contexts. You'll probably get tired of me saying them. Needed unknown, needed unknown, needed unknown. So if you don't take anything else away, remember the title. Um, we are going to preach the Bible, but, but, but I want to, as I said, we want to get practical as well. If you're here and you've been uh, enjoying Sundays, look, if you, if you enjoy Sundays here at Hope, stick a hand up, okay? Craig and Becky, there, yes, absolutely, and everyone else, that's fantastic. So many hands up. People here really enjoy our Sundays. Uh, that is wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful that people come here, that we worship together, that we listen to the Word of God, that you pray, all of that stuff. It is fantastic. But can I just say that at the same time, at the same time as that, if you're here and you don't know a ton of people, if, if your walk with God is limited to a Sunday, if your interaction with church is limited to a Sunday, then I believe that at least for the overwhelming majority, there's probably something more that God wants for you in your life as, as part of Hope Church. I just think there is more to it than that. It is fantastic. It's a great start to have Sundays. But if that's it, then you will not make the impact here that you are called to make. We will, as a church, not make the impact that we are called to make if it's just showing up on a Sunday. And I know that there have been challenges. Craig alluded to it. We've had, you know, COVID and all of that. And we had rapid growth prior to that. And then COVID in the middle. And now we're coming out of it. And in many ways, our interactions have been limited to Sundays. But I think it is time for a shift of season in that regard in this church. I believe that. And I know that the, the trustees believe that. I know Craig believes that. Um, I've been brought on as part of that process because, do you know what? We recognize we need more. We do need more. And, and I think there is a spiritual aspect to this um, I, I, I almost didn't, uh, well, that's not quite true, but I was, I was touch and go as to whether or not I was going to be here because Caden uh, was out of hospital and at home and then he had to go back into hospital, he had a wee chest infection, all fine, he's out now, but in the build up to this, I was hoping that I'd get a good week of sort of good message prep and it just felt like that was a, a little sort of attack and a distraction and thankfully I'd done some prep before because Craig had said, hey, have that and ready to go. Um, but, but nonetheless, it felt like there was some, some opposition. Uh, two weeks ago, almost didn't make it to the first Sunday of New Hope, partly because we had the baby, but I was also very unwell a couple of days prior. I believe I got healed, actually. I got prayed for, and within an hour, I was significantly better. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I was saying to someone this week, I don't know that there's been a lot of spiritual opposition. Like, in terms of the people here, everyone has been unbelievably supportive and positive and kind towards me but actually starting to pick up okay i think actually there is some work of the enemy in terms of us pressing in to this and i believe that we uh, that we need to break through in that i believe there's a spiritual fight and so i want to speak at the very start of this message over you as a congregation over the atmosphere in this place that we are breaking through this okay we are we are breaking through this okay we are going to shift from fans to family today. Okay, we're going to shift from an audience to an army. I do alliteration, guys. Okay, you can roll with it. Okay, we're going to shift from a crowd to a community. We're going to shift from rows to circles. 
Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to see a shift today in this church. Can I get an amen from someone other than Craig in the room? Yes, thank you. That was a great amen. Thank you so much. See, you were doing it already. We're doing it already. Punch your neighbor in the arm and say, hey, we're family. Okay? Turn to your other neighbor and go, how's your arm? Romans 12, Romans 12, chapter 2 is where I want to start. And verse 2, we're going to do 2 to 8, but we'll start in 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you know what God wants you to do in life? How do you know? It's a big question. Uh, I've I, I sort of recognized that men and women are very different in this regard. I've been married 11 years. Um, ladies, the men in your wife, we want, uh, the men in your life, we want to do, we want to do, we want to do nice things. We want to do nice things. Okay, we do. We will, we're like well-trained dogs, okay? With clear and direct instruction, we will do whatever you like us to do, pretty much. Sit where you want us to sit. Walk where you want us to walk. We'll try not to pee on the floor unless it's 4 a.m. and it's dark, okay? Like we will. Uh, we want to do nice things. Men, the ladies in your life, they also want to do nice things for you. That is, unless you use clear and direct instructions, in which case you're a selfish git. Okay, that is a reality, right? You're not allowed to use. You have to hint, okay? And this is where men and women get into trouble because men want the clear and direct instructions and ladies want the hint. They, they will say things like, I'm bored. And you'll be like, that is a problem. Yeah, I know you should do something. I'm watching the sport though, so you know, you fix it. I'll be praying for you. You know, you might turn the volume up because you know, she's sighing and tutting and all of that. And you, you're like, that's an involuntary reaction. She can't help it, but nonetheless, I do need to hear it. It is annoying. Okay. And that's how you end up with black eyes. But how do you know what God wants you to do? Do you have to read the mind of God? Do, is, is knowing God's will for you, um, Something that he hints at. Sometimes we think that, sometimes we think, hey, God's will for me, that's, that's, I need an angel. I need a, a vision. I need something dramatic to figure out what God wants me to do in life. I've got to have something really supernatural happen. It's got to be really deep or discerned and, and very difficult to figure out. And I would say that there's, there's, there's a lot of help and a lot of good in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And when it comes to the finer details, I'm actually really all for that stuff. Okay. So I'm actually not discarding that. But when it comes to sort of the, the macro level, broad brush strokes of what God wants you to do, I think he puts it in plain language. It's interesting. Paul says here that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. What he's saying there at the very start of this is you're going to actually be able to, to figure it out and you're going to figure out, you're also going to, you're, you're, you're going to demonstrate that what uh, you see in my writing is the will of God. So he's moving into this practical portion of Romans. So he's done Romans 1 to 11, for those of you who know the sort of the, the broad sense of the book, is kind of Paul's representation of the gospel. And then from 12 on, he gets into practical and he starts it off with, you're going to be able to, to prove, you're going to be able to test, you're going to be able to see that what I'm about to say is God's will for your life. It's not just that you're going to be able to figure it out. Actually, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put it in clear and direct language. And you're going to be able to tell in broad brush strokes what the will of God is for your life. So anyone in the room want to know what God's will for your life is? Great, Craig, and no one else. Okay, great, end of sermon. No, uh, God's will of your life is to say amen loudly throughout the message. Okay, no. Um, 
God's will for your life, he puts it in clear and direct language. And keep in mind this idea of needed and known. Verses 3 to 8 then, we'll read it together. It says this, For by the grace of God I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just of each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So the will of God for your life, Paul starts off, goes, do you want to know the will of God for your life? Let me tell you what it is. First things first, don't think of yourself too highly. Don't think of yourself too highly. I, I used to, when I was a teenager, I don't game anymore, but when I was a teenager, I used to have a PS2. Okay, now for some of you, that's like, oh, that's new tech. And for some of you, that is ancient tech. Okay, but I used to have a PS2, and I used to play FIFA. And back in that day, haven't played it in a while, one of the first things I used to do anyway was you would go on to FIFA and you would create yourself as a player. Okay, that was the first thing I would do. So you would go on and you would go, you would, you, you could, you could create a player. And you may slightly embellish the skills that you have. So you go, height was like, not exactly sure, but let's just say roughly six foot five. Okay, you know, and I'm a lot quicker than my little brother. So, you know, uh, uh, speed, that will be a hundred. You know, looks, yep, absolutely, just fix that face. Some crossover between my face and the most handsome man alive, which my mother thinks is the same person. But nonetheless, um, and uh, and so you would create this demigod of a figure and he would be the captain of Arsenal and you would go and win the league with him as starting centre forward. It was amazing. Um, now, I think sometimes we imagine that God's will for us is that we would look like that spiritually. Right? That, that, that we would be the ultimate Christian, you know, supernatural machine with every single gift and all of our person, all the personalities all together in one. That if God ultimately had his way with us, that what we would look like is this supernatural, superhuman, superman version of a Christian. Where you've got everything. It's like, oh, I don't need anybody else. I've got this. I've got that. I've got all the character traits, all the gifts, all the abilities. Sometimes we just assume that if we were fully sanctified, that's what we would look like. But it's interesting. I, I mean, I think there's, there's a sense in which God is perfecting us as individuals and he wants to knock off all the sin. Absolutely he does. But at the same time, God's purposes in your life, God's plan for your life, is not that you would become some sort of superhuman. It is that together as normal people, serving with supernatural gifts and natural gifts, that we would be a body that does it together. That we do it together. There is no superhuman, super saint Christian. It does not exist. You will not be that person. You will never be that person. And it's not that God's aim for you is that you would be so perfect that you would never need anybody else. It's actually that he would put you in a body where there are people around you. And where you are weak, they are strong. And where they are weak, you are strong. And where you don't have a gift, somebody else has a gift. And where you have a gift, somebody else has a need of that gift. That is his plan. You will have limitations your whole life. 
It does not matter how sanctified you become, you will not lose the need for other people. And so you can sit and and you can whinge about the limits and go, I really wish God had made me able to do that. Or you can go, thank God he hasn't called me to do it on my own. That's what we can do. I think think it's easy to think sometimes that everybody else in church should be like us. Sometimes we do that. I think we do that very easily. We go, hey, if everybody just agreed with me on everything, the church and indeed the world would be the better, would be a better place. It talks in, in the uh, start of Romans uh, 12 through there, don't be conformed to the world. I think sometimes we want to conform the world to us. We want to just make everybody like us, and we imagine that would be better. Can I just tell you, if everybody in this church looked like me, it would be a terrible place, right? It would. And it's, it's, it's not because I'm innately bad or worse or something like that. It's just it's true that, that there's, a, there's this beauty in variety. There's this beauty in diversity. There's a beauty in the fact that not everybody has the same skill set, same gifting, same personality. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And God's first part of his will for you is that you would recognize that. That you would recognize that it is great, it is great that the church looks a little bit like you. Now, if we, if we had the church as a, as a mosaic and we zoomed in on the tile, it's great that there's a tile that is the shape of you. It's wonderful. But it's also great that the whole thing is not just you. It's wonderful that there's more than just you. God wants you to recognize his will for you is to see that you need people around you. This can look really remarkable in practice. Uh, I was listening recently to the story of IHOP. And I, I don't know that much uh, about that and not the International House of Pancakes, the International House of Prayer, okay? Um, Mike Bickle and all of that story. Two, two big key guys and that one is Mike Bickle. And another guy was a prophetic guy called Bob Jones. They talk about some of his, his issues and challenges. They don't shy away from that. So if anyone's going, oh, there's some issue, they accept that. But nonetheless, really, really prophetic guy. And Mike Bickle tells the story of uh, waking up in the middle of the night. And he said he's only heard the audible voice of God twice. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and the audible voice of God is speaking to him. And he said it was absolutely terrifying. It sounded like thunder and it was at the same time sounded like it was really far away and really close. And the audible voice of God said, call Bob Jones. Which I think is weird. Right? And they recognize, does that not sound weird? It's like, we're already talking. Like, can you not just tell me the thing? We're, we're, we've already got this direct line of communication. But actually, God intentionally limited one bit of the revelation, one bit of the plan, one bit of that prophetic moment to, to him relying on somebody else. Here's the thing. You will never be so spiritual that you outgrow the need for other people. You will never be that spiritual that you will be able to do this on your own. As a, I remember as a, as a new Christian, uh, well, sort of newly fired up Christian anyway, I, I, there's a stage, some people call it the cage stage. It's where you should be put in a cage for a bit, you're that fired up. You just need to go and simmer down for a little bit uh, until you can sort of not be too angry and shouty and all of that. Um, but I had this idea that I would go away and pray and I would just, you know, come back and there would be revival, that that was what was going to happen. I and the Lord, but particularly me, would arrive back on the scene and that everybody would just recognize the power of God and come to faith. And to be honest, if I had tried that, firstly, I'm slightly extroverted. I would have hated it, okay? It would not have gone well. But also, that would not have been God's will or plan for my life. 
There, there, there are times when it's great to go away and pray. You're allowed to do it. It's great to do it. Jesus did it. Lots of people did it. But there is also a need for you to recognize that you need other people. You have to come back together. It's great not just to pray on your own, but to pray together. Your spiritual life will not be fully complete if it's just you and your private devotions. Actually, you need to be together with other people. It will not be great if it's just you ministering or doing whatever on your own. You need other people. I'll say something controversial. Um, there's a very um, famous sort of uh, line in Christian circles, which is, one person plus God is a majority. And uh, I, I, in some ways, I get the point. I, get, I, I like the faith aspect of that. I like the, hey, go for it and trust God and absolutely. But can I say this? Most of the time, that is actually not what God wants for you at all. One person plus God means that it will probably not have God in that equation for that long. Because the first thing God's going to do is go, get some other people. The first thing he's going to do, if he is in it, is bring other people around you. Jesus did not launch his ministry on his own. don't know if you noticed. He launches his ministry by bringing in people to the ministry. And this is Jesus we're talking about. This is Jesus himself needed that. And so can I just tell you, if it's you plus God, you will fail. You will fail eventually. It won't last. It will not continue. You are not good on your own. You're not. You're not a solo artist in the faith. This is not an individual sport. This is, this is, this is not you against the world. It is you with others and God together. It's interesting. We go right back to the Garden of Eden and there's no sin and there's no issues and no problems at all. And the relationship with God is perfect and the circumstances are perfect and God calls everything good until he sees that man is alone and he goes, it is not good for man to be alone. If that's true then, how much more true is that for us now? We're meant to be together. We're meant to be in this together. This is a, you're an instrument in an orchestra. Okay, you're, 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 this is a team sport. This is building together. As individuals, the church cannot succeed. Together, the church cannot fail. We need one another. And, and if you do try and do this Christian life alone, at some point, do you know what? It's going to get impossible. One of the weird things that I have seen in my time, and many of you have probably seen it, is that when people go through hard times, sometimes they withdraw from the church. And that is, I believe, absolutely the enemy's plan, is to isolate them and get them on their own and to go, you're going through a hard time. So what you don't need right now, actually, is to show up to church. What you don't need right now is, is the busyness of being involved in that. You just go off on your own and you'll be okay. And that is, that is such a, it just seems like a foolish idea to me because you are walking away from the very means that God is going to use to help you in that moment. The very thing that you need. And most of the people who deny Jesus start by getting bitter and angry and denying the church first. And it is much easier to deny the church than Jesus, right? It is. Because people are annoying, right? We are. We, we are weak and flawed and irritating and we desperately need one another, right? Turn to your neighbor and go, you're annoying, but I need you, okay? <laughs> so you give people something funny to say they actually do it. Sometimes it's great. The thing is that you will, even if you don't feel like you need people right now, you will. You will. At some point in life, you're going to need other people. I have a friend, I'll not say too much because they've not gone super public with it, not super private either. 
Um, but his wife has had a couple of brain surgeries in the last year, younger than me, um, a tumour the size of a, an orange, now going through radiotherapy. Um, really, really difficult. Christian, wonderful. Very involved in a church. And uh, he, he plays football every week with some other friends from, from the, the church as part of. And uh, some of you would think, oh, well, he should probably not do that. You know, like his wife's gone through brain. Like, well, you know, that, that feels like something that you would lay aside. But he's there every week. And part of the reason is that going and hanging out with your mates in a time like that is really important. And at the end of it, everyone prays for his wife. And at some point, I don't know, I hope it's not something like that. I really do. But at some point, you're going to face a challenge. You're going to need some people around you. You're going to put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. And you need to start investing in those relationships now. You, you, you build those relationships before the crisis so that in the crisis you have them. You need them at some point, but you build them now. You need people. I, I, I'm so thankful this week that there's a, a praying church here um, with having, having to sort of go into hospital a couple of nights with, with, with Kane or but Danny stayed over, but we were in. I, do you know what? I haven't been able to pray into this message as much as I would like. But I'm thankful that there are other people who in that moment could pray for us and people who could, are praying for this service and there's intercessors who pray over the chairs and pray in the room out there so that when my prayer life cannot be and is not what necessarily it should have been this week, and I just admit that in front of you, I am so glad that the success of this church does not depend on me and my prayer life. That there are other people who whenever that falls, whenever that's weak, whenever that gets challenged, there's other people who go, we'll help you with that. I have a gift in that area. I can support you in that. And and, and together we can cover one another's weaknesses and limitations. We have to do it together. You need other people. Not only that, not only do you need other people, you also need other people to need you. Interesting thought, but Romans 12, verse 6, we'll go back to that. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then it goes through and lists the various different kinds of gifts, prophesying and faith and teaching and giving and encouragement and leading and mercy. Here's the thing. You have gifts, and they will only come out in the context of relationship. They will only come out in the context of other people. You can be on your own and have the gift of a teacher and you will teach to a wall and it will never satisfy and never bless anyone. Right? You can sit and encourage the carpet as much as you like. That carpet is not going to get any better. Right? It will not work because it's meant to be lived out. It has to be lived out in the context of other people, in the context of relationships. That's where it's needed. My parents, I think they're, they're meant to be here. I don't know if they are. I haven't seen them. They're waving. Okay. I'm going to embarrass you now. Uh, so they are, if I'm honest, probably the most on fire at the moment, uh, not literally, um, but spiritually speaking, that I've seen them, at least that I can remember, okay? And, and I've known them since birth, right? So it's quite a while, right? Um, and a big part of that is that they're leading a small group. They're, they're members of CFC, the leader small group in CFC, and, and they have taken, um, I would say, an unusual level of responsibility when it comes to the life of their group. And uh, they've had people, and again, not share too much, because it's not my story to tell, but they had people there uh, with, with significant health issues, and uh, they, 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 as a group, decided, and with their leadership, said, we're going to 
we, we meet every other week and on the in-between weeks, we're going to gather and specifically pray for healing and breakthrough. And after six months of prayer and fasting on that day, they saw a dramatic, dramatic breakthrough. That person's completely set free, right? Praise God. Yes? Yeah? Isn't that awesome? Now, that is wonderful for the person who got healed. Wonderful for them. Also wonderful for the group also wonderful for them, does a lot for them, does a lot for everybody who gets to be part of that miracle and say, hey, we fasted and prayed for that. God used us for that. God gave us the grace to press in to that. It's great for them. And so it's not just when it comes to needing other people that you need hugs and prayers, although sometimes you need hugs and prayers. But you also need an opportunity to live out and to express what God has put within you. It will not come any other way. You need to live it out amongst other people. I would say this, when your potential meets somebody else's problem, that's where you find your purpose. Right? When when what God has put in you and somebody else's need of it connect, that's what you're called to do. You want to know what God's will of you is for you? You won't find it unless there's other people who have a need of you. You won't find it until you find someone who needs what you have and what God has placed within you. It it talks in this passage about the church. And you know that the church is never in the Bible depicted as an event. It is depicted as a body. Okay, now, don't get me wrong. Services, biblical. Meeting together, biblical. Yes, amen. But it's more than that. When we think of the term membership, well, at least when I think of it, I tend to think of like gym membership, right? You pay a fee and you go, right? But, but this talks about membership and the origin of that is not that kind of membership. It is the membership of a, of a body. It is like a, being a member is like being an eye or like being an arm or like being a lung. It is, it is not simply somewhere you go. It is somewhere where you have a role. It is somewhere where you do something that only you can really do there, that you are uniquely gifted to do. You are not part of an organization if you're a part of hope. You're part of an organism. You have a role. You have a purpose. And yes, in many ways, you depend on the church. But can I also tell you, in some way, the church should be depending on you. There should be an area where we go, that person is the person for that. That person has the gifting for that. That person has the anointing for that. And without you, we are missing something. We all have to contribute. We are all called to contribute something. And I say on, on, a, on a personal level as well, that uh, for me, this, is, this helps my walk with God. Be, being involved my, just helps my spiritual life. Not just my engagement with church, my engagement with God is better when I'm kind of forced to do it. Because I have a flesh, like everybody else, and if you have no responsibility, you've got nothing to strive towards, nothing to aim for, you know, you, you just get lax, you get lazy. And for me, my, my walk with God tends to be better on a week when I'm preaching. And I know some people go, well, that's not, you should be really, you know, you should just be in the clouds and in the third heaven all the time. I just don't live like that in reality. I'm more focused when I'm preaching. I'm more focused when I'm doing something. You've got QR codes on the back of your chairs there, okay? Your chairs have been prayed over because that's what I did because it made me do it. I was like, I've got to put the QR codes in, so I might as well pray whilst I'm doing it. It helps me to connect with God. You need to be needed. It makes you come to God. I would say that this is often particularly true for guys. Um, 
Someone, I heard someone once say that men are, are like 18-wheel lorries. They drive straighter with a load. Men are better when you load up something on the back of them and they've got a reason to be going somewhere and they've got responsibility. And sometimes guys go, I don't get a lot out of church. I just say, it might be because you don't put anything into church. Okay? And I don't mean to offend anybody that is putting lots into church. But, but that might be the cause of that. It might be that you're actually called to do more than sit and consume. It might be that you're called to something greater than that in this church. And the reason you don't enjoy it is not because the church is doing something wrong, not because people up here aren't gifted enough, and not because the person in the pew beside you or the chair beside you hasn't prayed enough. It's because you haven't actually used any of what God has put within you and called you to do. God puts man in a garden, and he doesn't go sit there and relax and let your wife cook the dinner, okay? Which I'm sure she did. Right, unless he used clear and direct language, in which case he would have got kicked out immediately, right? But he, God doesn't say it. God says, what, what does he say? You, you are to, to fill the earth and subdue it. He gives him a mission. He gives him a purpose. He gives him a goal. Go and extend this garden out. Go and build. Go and thrive. Go after something. And the whole point of church is not that a few people up here should use their giftings and everybody else sits there and applauds politely and goes, that was a good job. I enjoyed that. We're not watching golf, everybody. Okay? Praise the Lord. We're not watching golf. Right? We're not. This is an army on a mission. And so we need every soldier. You need a general, you need majors, you need engineers, you need whatever, right? I don't know enough about the army to continue this narrative, but you know what I mean, right? So you need other people and you need to be needed. And notice this with kids, right? And I talk like I'm an expert. I have a four-year-old and a 14-year-old. I barely know anything about having kids. But I'll tell you this, they are hard work, right? A baby is like the worst roommate ever. Okay, they drink too much, throw up, pee themselves, and you get to pay for everything, right? Okay, terrible roommate. I'll get my own back in about 50 years' time, okay? They'll be changing my nappy, it'll be, it'll be serious business at that point. I'll tell you this, so it's not easy, but it is meaningful. It's meaningful. It gives you a purpose. Your life is better when you have someone else to live for, when you have other people to pour your life into, It's better that way than just living for yourself. You're not called for a life of pleasure. You're called for a life of purpose. You know, you're not called to just be a consumer. You're called to be a contributor. You're called to build. You're called to do something. So we need other people. And if you feel low in your walk with God, if you feel low in your life, do you know what? Sometimes, sometimes, hey, you do need a chat. Sometimes you need someone to talk you through. Sometimes you just need to get up, get a kick up the bum and go do something. And if your gifts are laying dormant within you, you, yeah, of course you're going to feel a bit low. So stand up and do something about it. And half the time, honestly, at least for me, that helps me. That helps me fix it. And there are people that need you. There are people that need you, okay? Look, I, we have no jobs to offer you. We've got plenty of work to offer you, right? There's plenty of work. There's people in this room right now who need your gifting who need what God's called you to do, who need your anointing, who need your history, who need what God's done in your life to be poured out into them. There's, there's kids and hope tots. There's, there's, there's kids in the shed. There's people in Rushmere, right? People in Portadown. Lurgan, particularly Lurgan, okay? <laughs> I'm not from right here. I don't know the Lurgan banter. I don't know why that's a thing, okay? I'm just repeating back to you the jokes that I've heard other people say. People need you. 
And you need to be needed because God has put something within you that other people are called to depend on. You need to use it. Let me land this practically, right? We're starting small groups. We are starting small I know I should end with something spiritual and go back into work. No, we're starting small groups. We're starting small groups. They're going to be starting uh, sort of mid-November, but sign-up Sunday is going to commence next Sunday. We're going to open for sign-up. Um, we've, we've chatted to a bunch of leaders. And how we're going to do small groups, uh, we've got a few principles. There. I don't want to go through. There's a, whole, there's a whole book that backs this up about principles for healthy churches. Really, really good stuff. But a few things that we want to have. We want, them, we want our, our groups to be gift-oriented uh, and so that people are, are using what God has gifted them to do and that we're pulling out of people their giftings, okay? So we've asked leaders to do things that they feel gifted in and hopefully that draws people with a similar passion and then you get that little gift mix around the same idea uh, and people that are excited about something going after something together. So they're going to be gift-oriented. We're going to be focused on having loving relationships, and that's opposed to kind of formal relationships. Do you know what? We don't just want you to be friends with people when you are at church and we've organized it for you. It's actually great if people hang out with each other and get on with one another. That's how we would define a, a loving relationship. No one has to make you hang out with them. You actually enjoy doing it. Um, and, and then we want to have our groups that are holistic, which means that they care about not just com- delivering content from a Bible study, although many of them will have Bible study elements. Or they're not just, hey, let's pray, although they will all pray. But actually, we want to have groups that care about the whole person and go, how are you doing? Tell us about yourself. Tell me about your week. Tell me about your walk with God. Tell me about your past, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your future, all of that stuff. And our, we, our aim for our groups is that they would be a place where you are needed and you are known. It is absolutely essential. We've got a whole bunch of details about what the what we've asked the leaders to do. I'll not go into all of that. I'll just add one thing to this. Um, key relationships are essential in a church. And what we want to have is relationships that are close and that are tight-knit, but not cliquey, right? Because you need, you need actual friends. You need people that you really know. And at this size, you can't know everybody really well in this room. And we just want to say, that's okay. You don't need to know everybody. We want everybody to know somebody. That's essential. And so uh, the, the analogy that I have is you can have this core, this tight core, which is what we want to develop. And uh, it can either function as like a buzz saw, And everything around that core, it's spinning around and it drives everything away. And that's why a buzz saw cuts. Or it can act like a whirlpool and it pulls everybody in. It pulls others in. And so we want you to build those tight relationships, but we want them to be invitational. Like, come with me. I'm going to a small group. Why don't you come to that group with me? We've asked our leaders to be proactive and going out and inviting people to those groups. We want them to be so not so good that nobody else can come in in case they damage it, but so good that everybody should be welcomed in. And anybody that you see that doesn't have a friend or doesn't have a group, you're going, you've got to come to my small group. It's great. You'd love it. That's what we want. We want to have those kind of places, that kind of attitude. And the potential for this is massive. It really is. I'll give you a story about um, how these groups can work um, that I've shared a few times in a couple of different contexts. Some of you all have heard it before. Um, church of the Highlands is a big church in America. They, um, they, had, they were growing fast. 
but still relatively young. And someone came to the senior pastor and said, look, I, I want to start a prison ministry. I believe God's called me to start a prison ministry. And uh, what they really wanted was, you know, a, a budget and an announcement, which, which is great. It's not wrong to want that, but they didn't have the space for that. They just couldn't do a budget, couldn't really do an announcement. Because uh, it's very niche. You know, announcements on a Sunday got to appeal to enough people. So he goes, well, start a small group. Start a small group that was gift-oriented. Make sure you're connecting and loving with the people that you're there with and, you know, all of that. But, you know, just do that as a group. And so they went out and they wrote, they designed this curriculum that was sort of like an alpha and early discipleship with a little bit of sort of inner freedom. And they called it Living in Freedom Every Day. And they ruled that out in prisons. Now, if I was in prison, I would go to Living in Freedom Every Day. Okay, I would. Okay, week one, who is Jesus? Week two, digging tunnels, right? That's, you know, um, I would be at that course. I would. But they, they have people start to show up. People start to get saved. Remarkable stuff starts happening where they had, at least at the time I heard this a couple of years ago now, but um, they had a 100% success rate in terms of people who completed the course did not reoffend once they had left prison. And one of their largest sites as a church is those who meet in prisons. They have thousands of inmates. They were invited by the governor of Alabama into every prison across Alabama to go and roll out this course because it was so successful. There is power in you being needed and known. There is power in it, okay? I'm not saying that that our groups will do that, but why why would we not try? Your group might be a Bible study, and it could just be a great Bible study, and you pray for one another, and you use your gifts, and that is awesome as well, right? So it doesn't have to be that massive kind of thing, but it could go anywhere. And I tell you this, if we as a church can break through in this, if we can believe God for this, we will start to fulfill our potential. We will. There, There is... What, what happens here on a Sunday, there sh- it should be bigger. It just should. Our, our, our God moves here. God showed up today in the worship at, at the end there. Like, awesome, awesome. But we should be reaching more. And I think that the next barrier is, can we get our people needed and known? Can we get everybody and go, do you know what, jump into this, seize hold of this, use your giftings, connect with others, love others, pour your life into other people and see what God does through you as you do that. See what he'll do. I know there's a whole bunch of different people here. Some of you brand new, some of you maybe visiting, some of you have been here a while, but I would love, I would love for you to make my life really difficult. Okay, I would. I want us to have way too many people joining small groups that we've got a big waiting list. Thus far, my job been relatively straightforward. Everyone's just been thumbs up. Great, you're doing good. Yes, how can we help? At some point, I want to be scrambling. I want it to get messy. Okay, I really do. I want every. I want us to have 200 and something people sign up for small groups. Way too many. I don't have enough leaders for that. Right? Now I have to run around and find leaders. That would be amazing. That's what I want us to do. So I'm, uh, I'm declaring today, next Sunday is sign up, but in the spirit, declare what I said at the start. This is the day we're breaking through this. We're breaking through this today because it will release us into more of what God's called us to do as a church. We're on the right trajectory. I believe that. But this is the next step. And so the enemy's opposed it, but you know what? We're going to do it anyway with a big smile on our faces, Okay. We're going to enjoy it. This is the day we're moving from crowd to community, fans to family, audience to army. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.